guys, we are here with Jess, who is going to be telling us about how she got into teaching and becoming a professor at a PTA program while also being a PTA and how she did it and, you know, some of the things just about being a professor and was that something she always wanted to do. So we are going to dive into an interview with her. This is part one of two. Um, We've been enjoying so many of our interviews lately that we end up just chit-chatting and talking for a longer period of time of just everything about their experience and soaking it all in. So this is one of those episodes where we all of a sudden look down at the time and we're like, oh, wow, we're going pretty long. Uh, We're going to split this up. So let's go ahead and get into part one um, with the interview with Jess and she can start explaining her story a little bit more. So let's go. You're listening to the PT Assistance Podcast with your hosts, Ken and Laura. Thanks for joining for another exciting episode. All right, guys, we are back. And like we said, we have a very special guest with us today. We have Jess joining us today to kind of, well, I'll let her just kind of share her story, but um, about how she kind of got into education and a little bit more as we go through it. But Jess, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, like how how long have you been in the field, um, what you're currently doing, and just like a little bit about your hobbies and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first, thanks for having me. No, thank you. Uh, so I, I am a PTA by trade, I suppose, and I've been one for about 14 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did that full time for about nine years in some different settings. And so now I am in uh, higher education and a PTA program. I've been there for five years. So that's kind of where my my 14 years adds up there. Yeah. I I still work PRN um, (laughs) also. So I've tried to, I haven't completely left the clinic. Fair. I love that. I actually like right off the bat, I I love the fact that you stayed in the field because I feel like it's so important because there's been, you know, I've worked with some professors professors before and they're out of the field and they don't have what like the touch of like what's actually happening so I think that's so cool that you decided to stay in the field and everything yeah I feel like how can I stand in front of students saying this is how you do physical therapy if I don't do physical therapy so yeah Mm -hmm. that was important to me yeah it's definitely a big part of it um as far as the settings you've worked in do you have a a favorite that you worked in or one that you spent most of your time in certain patients you like like a certain population you like to work with Sure. So I've done a lot. I would say most of my time was spent in outpatient. Um, yeah. yeah. Outpatient. <laughs> However, I will say, <laughs> what, clearly. Um, and, and I can't, it was either that or home health. So I've never actually done, I've never worked in like inpatient or acute care. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did home health as well. But my first outpatient job actually was, was pediatric outpatient, which Ooh. as you all probably know, at least in PTA school, like little to no training on pediatrics. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was very much a on the job learning, but since, yeah, for the last five to seven years, my, my job's been in outpatient orthopedics. That's awesome. Very nice. That, very nice. I, I, again, might be a little biased here. I've tried a, a couple of them here and there. Um, plus I also, I did grow up kind of seeing home health a little bit. My mom had a couple side jobs here and there cause my mom was also a PTA and oh, nice. she worked with the patient so long that, you know, we'd come tag along on occasion. So <laughs> sure. literally, uh, I think she had one patient that, uh, he was going to get, uh, home health for 
the rest of his life as long as he wanted because doctor screwed up and hit the brain stem and so he was yeah paralyzed so there was a lawsuit so medical was all covered so my mom had worked with that family for like over five years and so uh we got to go in and see a lot so i've i've seen quite a few different fields but i will say i do drift back to the ortho it's just i like it but again nothing bad against other settings Sure. No, I, there's, and there's a place for everyone in mm-hmm. physical therapy. Where there's so many opportunities that you can't, you'll find somewhere that works. Right. Any uh, side hobbies or things you like to do when you're not either, I'm sure, grading or, or working? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. All the extra school stuff. All the extras. Oh, uh, yeah. No, of course. I, I mean, I'm a big reader, but even that, I, I there's no genre I specifically like. I just like to read. Um, I also, I'm a runner. Uh, I use that word very loosely. Um, I oh, used so to be definitely. <laughs> no, I used to. Got out of it, tried to get back in it, and realized, oh, this is hard. Um, so sometimes I run, but more what I do, actually, I'm actually going to head out west next week on Monday. Ooh. My sister lives in Arizona. And I'm going on a hiking and backpacking trip. So I, I like to spend time outdoors. They have, awesome. they definitely have some good ones out in Arizona. Yeah. And right now the weather's warming up a little bit out here in our, our desert area. So uh, Arizona kind of usually follows that too. So shouldn't yeah. be too bad. Shouldn't yeah, too the cold. weather's looking okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you never know. Um, I know I never got the whole running thing, even when I was like a competitive athlete. Like, so I swam competitively for when I was five and a half all the way through college. Even then, no, I hated running. I do everything, get out of it. I I never understood that concept. Like, I was gonna say, we have a patient (laughs) right now. He's, she's about to run a a marathon. And I'm just looking at her. I'm like, I don't know how in the world you're going to do like, that's just so much running. I'm like, do you actually enjoy it? And she's like, nope, I hate it. And I'm like, and you're going to do a marathon. Let me know how yeah. that goes. <laughs> I mean, if you love it, okay. That's one. That's one thing. But. Right. Yeah. I, 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 willpower to them. Well, I, I'll give it. a lot of willpower to you guys who, who get just let me go out and run. Um, yeah. No. I, I think a bear needs to be chasing me. <laughs> in order to run. <laughs> Even then, it might be if I might just look at you. You might just <laughs> you're gonna do the play dead route. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> the bear seems more tolerable than running. but all right so we'll go ahead and get into a little bit more of like how did you transition from working full-time as a pta into education um is that something i've always kind of been a little interested in maybe down the line is going into that field well not that field but that part track there we go yeah yeah Uh, honestly i i kind of lucked into it i would say um I actually, when I was doing one of my home health um, jobs, my immediate supervisor was a PTA in that position. I think that that was the first time that I'd seen kind of a PTA being in some sort of managerial or administrative role. Mm -hmm. And so I remember thinking like, okay, like there are, like there's a ladder to climb somewhere. Like I don't have to just treat patients forever if I don't want to. Mm -hmm. Um, So after a few years, uh, many years of treating full time, I went back to go get my master's degree and got that in... uh, healthcare administration. And I figured with Mm. that one, I could either, again, do management at, you know, home health or outpatient or maybe some sort of hospital administrator. I wasn't really sure. It wasn't actually until later that I realized that I could also use that master's degree to go into education. Um, And, and I'd been a a CI, I'd been a clinical instructor, basically some, you know, 
the time that I graduated. And so I'd had made some contacts with local schools that way also. And I actually reached out to one of our local PTA schools and said, Hey, so I'm working on getting my master's. What do you know? Like what's out there? What can I do with this? And again, this is how I looked into it. She said, Oh, well, actually we just had one of our faculty members put in their notice and is quitting. Hey. You're like, Would you be interested? Well, great timing. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So could, couldn't have been better timing. Um, yeah. So that's kind of, again, how I, how I lucked into it. Um, didn't know if I would like education. Again, that wasn't my initial thought uh, when I was oh, looking at getting go. a higher degree. <laughs> and um, but clearly I like it. I've been there for five years. So it's, so it's, it's good. But I, but again, I, I lucked into it. And um, I think that the route of getting a master's degree opened up a lot of worlds and that this is just kind of the one that I ended up, ended up in. Now to teach, um, do you have to have a master's degree? I will be honest. I don't know what it's like state to state. So I know in my state, in order to be a full-time faculty member, in order to be credentialed is the word Mm -hmm. they use to teach certain classes, I did have to, but um, (laughs) one of the things I was going to bring up later was actually the fact that, we have adjunct faculty, so, you know, somebody who mm-hmm. comes in and helps run a lab um, who's more than just a guest speaker is there a little bit more regularly, but isn't full time. And adjunct faculty do not have to have a master's degree. I so, didn't know that. Because, yeah, yeah, like um, just working with undergrad and that kind of stuff, I, I do know it differs from school to school. And each university has their own rules sometimes, too, like uh, if you get into private they won't require as much sometimes as, you know, a state funded one will. Um, so I, I do know like it gets, it differs from each one, but I will say like most of the route they do require from what I can tell, like a higher education, but I did not know that about adjuncts that um, they're kind of more of like, you can teach, but since you're not working or you're not teaching full time, you don't have to have all that stuff. So right, it's like, yeah. like, gray, you do, like I- a half and half. <laughs> Because I think you need yeah, a certain. Well, oh, I was gonna say like I think uh, for our school because I had a, somebody tried to apply to be a, a professor there. Um, unfortunately, they didn't get it. But they said you have to have like I think four or five years minimum of experience in the field before you can apply. Right, which is so crazy, I don't know if that was the case for you sense. or if, if you've heard of any sort re- of minimum you know, requirements. Yeah. Now, if I had my job description in front of me, I could probably tell you better. Yeah, I do know that there there was a minimum. Don't remember exactly what it was. There was a, a minimum of teaching or of uh, treating and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the recommended, you know, if possible to have some teaching experience, which, of course, clearly I didn't have going in initially. But, but yeah, some level of experience before teaching was required. In a way, though, I feel like you could just take our job and say it's a teaching experience because really day to day we are teaching patients on what's going on with them and why we're doing the things we're doing and how to do it properly and the best techniques to do it so like I feel like you can kind of relate your actual in clinic experience with teaching experience like I'm sure it's Absolutely. different don't get me wrong but <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, well, to both of your points, yeah. So, I mean, I think being a clinical instructor is great because you get to, I mean, you are t- literally teaching students mm-hmm. um, and kind of, kind of, you expose you to the academic world. But you're right, Laura. Like, that's one of, one of the notes that I actually, both of those notes, <laughs> you guys check both the boxes. But, but clinical instructor <laughs> is one. And um, 
the other one was we educate patients all day, every day. Mm -hmm. And it's like you said, it's different, but it clearly correlates to being able to, to educate students. And I do remember actually when I first started teaching, um, I felt you all know this. We learned things in school and we took tests on it. And then we got to the real world and it wasn't always that It way. went by? Oh. What? Yeah. Oh, I thought my, le- my left the door. If I don't use it, it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. And so I remember when I first started teaching, I had to like reteach myself. So I'm like, I haven't thought or looked at some of this some stuff of these concepts. in years. Yeah. So I had to like reteach myself. And then I thought, well, as a teacher, I'm supposed to know all of the answers. So like if mm-hmm. a student would ask a question and I didn't know the answer, I was like, I'm inept and I shouldn't be here and I have no idea what I'm doing. The imposter syndrome. Um, to that, to imposter that syndrome. Mm-hmm. It, it did. And it still does sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. But then I realized my, my students are just like patients, right? They have questions. And if a patient were to ask me a question, I didn't know the answer. I would probably be like, huh, good question. Let's look it up, you know, That's and a good point. It together. <laughs> and so I, do, I try to do the same thing with, with students now. So. There you go. Yeah. I, it is definitely uh, funny when I thought the same thing. I was like, Man, when uh, Ken was going through school, he'd come in and be like, start talking oh, all the this stuff of books. <laughs> and, and I'd look at him and I'm like, I don't know. I don't care. I don't use that. Yeah, I did that all the time. So when all I was the time, a, I was like, I, I was a tech. I was like, you're really you making me feel dumb. PTA. And I was like, oh, hey, what's the origin and insertion of this muscle? And they're like, are you serious? I don't know. And I'm, I'm like, like, really? You don't know this? this it's, like, region. it's like around here. That's all I need to know. It does these yeah, actions. Like, it good. runs like this. It does this action. I don't need to know. It's exactly Do the I third and fourth the rib. Exact... I don't need to know all that. No. Nope. Nope. If yeah, I know it's... the general region, the way it's running, we're, we're good. <laughs> I my, my default is now a student will be like, is the insertion of the biceps, the radial tuberosity? I'll be like, look it up. Well, what do you, what do you what think, do you think? It is? <laughs> I don't know, Ken would always look at me and ask him and be like, you're really making me feel dumb right now. I don't, I was like, you learn it for the test. And then there's, there's things that you, you definitely learn to get past the test. And then I think the big thing is when you start working in the field so often, um, you, you start to speak in layman terms too. And so you, you just naturally go that route too. So you, certain things that the way they say it in the book and in school, like to me, I'm like I can explain it better in layman terms than actual medical terms Absolutely. nowadays. Um, yeah. And I've been treating for about almost six years now. Okay. Um, well, so. depending on what setting you said it earlier, like if you use it or lose it, right? I mean, yeah. you guys aren't going to remember anything about oh, hemoglobin levels and whether absolutely or not. I, I, mean, I don't actually. I love either, the but... great little red marks. Michael, are we being quizzed right now? well but the thing is is it's funny though because like i think that and then it was really funny going through my own surgery and everything um my husband came in for my very first uh, appointment for physical therapy which was with the pt i worked with at the time um and so we go in the room and he's technically doing the eval because he still has to do the eval we're going through insurance and everything and so we're talking and my husband's literally sitting there and I'm thinking we're just talking like normal. Right. And he goes, you two are speaking another language right now. And I was like, I didn't even think it was that intense, but it's, it's funny how like when you do get around to other people though, too, like you do realize, Hey, you, you know what you're talking about. It is, oh, yeah. it is there. 
So I'm yeah, sure. I've been married for 15 years and there are times where I'm still like, how do you not, how do you not know this word that I've probably been using? <laughs> but then other times he'll bust out something about like shoulder flexion. I'm like, oh, he is learning. Things. He's so listening. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I know more about my husband's job than he knows about mine. Fair. That sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> but you've worked in but, his world. He hasn't worked in yours. Mm. He, this is true. I, I did take a, a little bit of time off uh, between the foot uh, and going back. And so I worked at home for a little bit. Didn't help, but made me made me love the job again. I will say that, um, which oh, was nice. Yeah. But now, speaking of kind of like going in and not knowing everything, how did you prep for it? Like, how did you get back into like, hey, yeah, the book says this, but really like in clinic that's not really oh how yeah it's that's a done. great like, question how does that like how do you battle how that? did you do that <laughs> there there's a fine line right because we all know and even the students know they have to pass a test at the end of this and they mm-hmm. need to know what the book says um but of course we want to make them good students and good clinicians so that they know what to expect when they're going out on clinicals and then out into the real world so uh, i think i'd probably say like 95 percent of the time we say what the book says goes, this is how you should, this is how you should do things. Unless there's just something that we know that the research is showing that that's not the case anymore. Because sometimes our books are, you know, we try to keep the most up to date, Mm -hmm. but maybe they get updated every five years or something. And sometimes there's new research. So we'll say, we know this is what the book says, um, but here's what we see in, in actuality. And of course the board exam also changes every few years. So it's constantly being updated with the newest and best evidence-based practice as well yeah it's definitely uh I feel like it's always so tough because I think when they sent us out on our clinical rotations they said you're gonna learn a lot and you're gonna learn a lot that didn't seem like it was in the book or says opposite of the book they're like that's great use it but not on your test (laughs) right That's, that's exactly that's exactly right so I've been um, at this school now for long enough, so I actually, in the last uh, year and a half or so, am now the clinical coordinator, so I'm the person who's sending the students out to their clinicals. Um, And yes, we do a lot of those conversations as well of, we know that when you go to clinic, (laughs) it'll be different, and that's okay. (laughs) Just put it in your backseat for later. Um, You bring it forward when the passenger in the front gets out, aka at the test, (laughs) after the test. Once that departs, you're good, good to go. Yeah, I had a I had a patient. So I graduated from school, and then before I took my test, I worked under a graduate license. And one of my patients, she was an instructor for the nursing program. And I was working with her, and I was telling her, I'm like, oh, yeah, like I'm a graduate of physical therapy, but uh, I take my test in a couple months. And the first thing she would like harp on, or like every visit, every time I worked on her, she'd be like, stop learning what you learn in the clinic always review your book, always review your book. And she would just harp on it. And I'm like, yes, I know. I have to go back to the books because you do pick up a lot of stuff in the clinic. And since I worked for three months straight before the test, I'm like, I can't use any. Like, maybe I can think about it, but I can't reference it. Like, I have to think about what's in the book. Right. It was nice to kind of go Lucky that she was a patient. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He was also around me. I kept yelling at him. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I got this won't done. be on your test. <laughs> <laughs> no, are you kidding? Ken, Ken, I told him right from the beginning, he'd ask me things. And I was like, I don't know. You're be- you're smarter than me. Right off the bat, <laughs> uh, Ken, Ken, is, Ken is really good with that stuff. Um, 
I've got just a little more experience personally being always injured. So I've got that (laughs) stuff under wraps. (laughs) But um, I forgot, we never actually asked you which um, courses you teach. That's what I was going to ask. Nice. Um, so at this point, I've taught everything in our program except the the intro to. We have like an intro course. I think mm-hmm. most programs do. You know about what is a PTA, the legal ethical kinds of things. I've not taught that. Um, pathophysiology um, is not my jam either. So lots, you know, basically mm. all the dis- diseases of the systems of the body and how it pertains to physical therapy. Um, and then we have our basic, (laughs) right? Yeah. I mean, the big ones I can talk to you about like diabetes. Yeah. And And then you get those weird ones that we, we learn slightly. And then someone comes in you're like, I don't know. It's like, you have what? What? (laughs) We have a patient right now that has peripheral, uh, demyelinization. So a form, not, yeah. yeah, not MS. But MS, but not MS. Like, it's the weirdest right. thing. <laughs> it's so the best demyelinating way for an unknown. Yeah, reason. but it's just only in the peripherals. That is interesting. Yeah, so yeah, it's very see, interesting. I but I was like, I'm going to have to go back to the book now. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, we get those patients every once in a while. Make us think a little bit. Yep, exactly. She's in there for her foot and everything. But it was like, okay. Like, my PT's like, do you remember this? And I was like, no. No, I don't. No. I was like, and she Back said the, the name, and I was go. like, so pretty much MS, but just in her peripherals. No. And she goes, yeah. And I was like, okay. okay. Well, we can make that I work. S- it's just weird it's things like, like that. This would be, <clears throat> excuse me, advice that I would give to a student, too, would be like, okay, like, the diagnosis might be interesting, but, like, what are they presenting? Like, what are their goals? What mm-hmm. are we going to do? Like, as long as it's not contraindicated, then technically does it matter what their diagnosis is? As long right? as we're working towards function. I, I do feel like um, in school, it gets so focused sometimes on what the diagnosis is versus like what we actually want to gain and what they can do. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, I've got a patient right now who's Parkinson's and she's not in there for Parkinson's. She's in there for um, a post-op. Uh, and so like we can work on a couple of her Parkinson's stuff, but it's not Parkinson geared really mm-hmm. therapy in a way so like it's it's just interesting like to see like the difference being in school and out of school but um definitely definitely fun but i wish I that we actually did a bit more of talking about i don't want to use the word comorbidity but like dual dual diagnosis so it's like someone who has parkinson's who also has i don't know shoulder pain who had a fall you know something because we do a really good job i think of talking about like kind of siloing these individual mm-hmm. diagnosis but that's yeah, not that's not real life world either yeah yeah no and that's the tough part too is like oh, i'm man i've just got a lot of patients right now i'm like that are interesting like we have a patient right now who came in for post-op uh lumbar surgery forgot exactly what he had but he's had plenty of strokes and really he should be more neuro and mm-hmm. our neuro clinic won't take him because they're like well he's there for ortho and we're like yes but like he's got so much other things going on cognitively. He's not all there. Like he's a better candidate for neuro. And so it's like, ugh, the battle of it. And 
that was I feel like in school it was the tough part just in general with the setup of like how they would separate things so much and that's how you learned it so sometimes like I feel like that's not real life and and that's the tough part yeah I feel like the for my program I think the big one was like focusing on the diagnosis too much so we did a lot of practice like in class um they would we would have like that practice patient and all that and they would be treating each individual one but I was like you also have to think about what they enjoy doing because if you want to keep their compliance up you want them to keep coming and enjoy being there like do they like to golf do they like to garden do they want to go back to playing a sport like if you orient your treatment around that they're more likely to come in and actually want to be more involved and then the second one for me for the dual diagnosis i have an mva with knee pain neck pain back pain but he also has seizures we're doing nothing with the seizures but now i have to keep in mind like making sure that the treatment stays mainly on the table. If we do any walking, I have to stay with them. Like, yeah. So making sure that there are multiple things you have to pay attention to. Absolutely. Yeah. Might be an easy diagnosis just because it's. In, the MVA. You know, yeah. But MVA, the seizures plays like, a huge oh, a role of... into what I have to do as far as intervention yeah. wise. I can't sure. just put them on a treadmill and do all that oh. stuff. It's just not a good idea. <laughs> so how would you like, since you're still treating, which I, again, I think is so awesome. Um, you know, you get to see out in the field, what's still going on. And kind of like over the years, how it's starting, at least out here, I feel like treatment is starting to change a little bit, get a little bit, um, away from like the, here's the set plans into again, more individualized, um, plans per patient. How do you kind of fit that into the program and with students, but at the same time, make sure, it's a guidance with what the book and everything. Cause I feel like that would be the tough part is not fully bringing in so much of your clinical experience. Right. No, that's a great question. So, so yes, as a PR and I, I same thing here, I think we're starting to see a, a, sh- a shift, but we're also teaching that in the program. So it's mm-hmm. that every patient is an individual. And I think kind of the last two comments that you both made go into it. So it should be an individualized plan based on what the patient wants to do, right? We all know that function is the big word. What does the patient want to do? We'll work mm-hmm. towards doing that. And so in the classroom, yes, of course, we're, we teach them what the book says, but even things like in our basic therapeutic exercise course, we go over some super basic exercises for every region of the body, but then we will throw out like not just, you know, here's five patients who have all had knee replacements. They are totally different people. One is 45 and it was traumatic one was 65 and wants to do this there's male there's female there's athletes there's sedentary you know desk job people like so what does your plan look like for those and they all again like acutely we're all probably doing the same exercises with all five of those patients just to kind of get some blood flow get some basic Mm -hmm. strengthening back doing some isometrics but as their plan progresses we're going to choose different things like if you got an elderly woman who wants to get back to gardening you're going to start doing some kneeling activities absolutely Mm -hmm. so yeah like that that is so awesome i wish they had done that because when i went to school it's the same thing like here's your patient it's a set one pretty much you gave three exercises that were generalized and moved on um right and they didn't really challenge us to think outside the box which Brings me to kind of my next topic, I guess, in a way of like, one of the things I wish I got lucky because a, I was an athlete gone through physical therapy since like I was in and out since I was nine, practically my mom's a PTA. So like I, I grew up in the field, so I knew different types of exercises and progressing a little bit and that kind of stuff. But we had a lot of people who didn't. So we learned 
three exercises maybe for a body part and then you move on. I believe that there should be a full class just dedicated to full on (laughs) exercises. Like nothing else but teaching you the proper way because the thing too is like you get out in the field and someone might show you, but really in the long run, they got taught it wrong. You got taught it wrong. And so it's this taught wrong exercise this whole entire time. Yeah. So like, what's your thoughts on something like that? Do you feel like that would be beneficial in the program? Do you think that will ever be in a program? I mean, I can certainly see the benefit to it. Like now that I've been in education for this lot like i don't know where we would mm-hmm. fit it in like i don't know yeah i don't know where we would find the time honestly so yeah like it would definitely <laughs> be great because you're right so our students feel um boxed in is, is a good word so you, my students actually went out to clinic today so knock on wood i didn't hear from anybody I think that's a good all, sign it's no one said they they put a <laughs> you know <laughs> nothing crazy so far um but yeah so like we teach on the basics right which is what we feel like we should do because we want them to use their imaginations Mm -hmm. but you're right if they don't have a history and they don't even know how to use their imaginations to come up with something new so then they get to clinic and their clinical instructor says so what are you going to do for joe here who had his knee replacement and they're going to say quad sets long arc quads and squats and the CIs are like, okay, anything else? And the students are like, no, I don't, I don't know. I know no, that's what I got. Anything else? That's all I got. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, like, like I try to teach my students that clinicals are a class. Going to clinic is not to show what you've learned and prove yourself. Mm-hmm. It's to go and learn. So, I think going to clinicals is where they'll hopefully, if it's a good learn clinical a site, get yeah, just tons of input about all the different ways people yeah. can do things. I think that also a little bit is just an experience. Like, um, I finally feel like I. I'm just kind of like, as years have gone, I'm like, you know, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to try it. Uh, like we have with our Parkinson patient, she walks with a very narrow base of support. And so literally what I did the other day and I was like, you know what, we're just going to try this. I took two cones, put them, uh, set them up and said, all right, we're going to march, but you're going to land your feet with those cones <laughs> mm-hmm. and just match it. And I was like, it's not really technically an exercise. But, you know, what we're working for is for her to get that motor pattern going with that wider base of support. And so I think that's the hard part is when you're fresh out of school, you know, sometimes you do like I ran to CI where she had never had a student before. I was her very first one. She was a PT who was a year and a half out older Mm. because she had changed careers. Never worked with a PTA. (laughs) And it was the most stressful thing that I was about to quit school. Because, and like, even I had to talk to, luckily my clinical director, um, for our program at the time, she was just absolutely amazing. Um, because she was just like, I know, I, I get it. Cause we, we talked about it going through and she's like, they're not like this. They're not all like this. Like we've had to, I've had to talk to her about it. Cause like, she would just question me on everything like, uh, joint mobs and things like that. And how do you deal with a situation like that where you've got a student who's like, you know, it's not technically that they're doing anything wrong, but the person that they're working with just has too high of expectations for them in a way. Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. And we've had, I mean, even just general, um, 
where the student and the clinical instructor just they just don't mesh as people right they wouldn't mm-hmm. be friends outside of physical therapy um we try to avoid that of course but yeah <laughs> I, I do well it sounds like you had a great clinical director because i do something very similar i make sure you know if a student comes to me with a concern uh, then i try to find a way to reach out to the clinical instructor without being like accusatory not like you're yeah. doing it wrong it's more like Here's some tried this? <laughs> research about what our program is like and the expectations of our students, or like here's some tips and tricks on how to give feedback appropriately. You know, so they try to be like subtle about it. Um, You're like, I, I'm giving you that to all of some them. Hints and... Everyone, <laughs> everyone <laughs> is getting it. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, and I I hope that your that your situation. I've had it happen once. Um, but I think I hope that those are few and far between. I'd yeah. like to think that clinical directors, you know, kind of know what uh, what kind of position they're putting their students into. Well, yeah, and it's always it's tough when you got someone who's taking on new, and I knew it too. But it was just like I I was planning on taking originally the test early, but because mm-hmm. of that, I was like, nope, I can't I can't do this and try to study at the same time because I was coming home feeling like I took a test every day. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that was, yeah. that was a good, good decision. Then. It gave you more time. So it, it definitely like it. It's like I got again. I'm lucky that I my clinical um, instructor for our whole entire program. Like uh, she, director she, uh, she did an amazing job of like walking me through. Like it's not you. Like yes, technically you got not great reviews of like this, but she's like I read over what your reviews are, and this is the things you're supposed to be being taught. So mm-hmm. you shouldn't know these. <laughs> so We're, it was definitely. Did you guys go to the same? Did you guys we go to the same school? We did. Okay. Different times. Um, right. <laughs> Are you, were your clinical classes pass fail? Do you know? Do you remember? Um. um yes. yes. Okay. But we did right, get cool. like a kind of like a grading of like uh, excellent, average, or above average, and then entry level and all that, or something like right. that. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All something those. Like so do you guys? So yeah, the CPI. It sounds like you're yeah. using CPI words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. I was yes, like, so, I already. So was in school sooner than me. I'm like, I forgot that. Yeah, and I honestly, gonna... I've, been, I've been a clinical instructor so long that like we used to handwrite, handwrite the CPI. So mm-hmm. like we would have to like write in the box how the student was doing. Now there's this whole thing called the internet, and it's just amazing quick. and just type. Right, stuff. so convenient. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was gonna say like as far as like the exercise, kind of going back a little bit, but. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of recently graduating and my PT would always ask me like if I needed help with anything I think the biggest thing for me was figuring out when to appropriately progress a patient so I was a technician um, before I went to the program that's how I met Laura for about three four years so I had this like foundation of so many different exercises for almost every single scenario but I went to school I graduated I did all the things and then when I became a PTA it's like well I know how to uh, address that issue but my biggest problem was when so should i just Mm -hmm. go for it and then see how they react should i do less reps so i feel like that's where the experience really sets in and like going to those clinical rotations is so important because you'll be able to see that firsthand okay well did they hit a criteria first like oh they did um shoulder flexion all the way up let's go to active range of motion things like that right but i think for me that was like the biggest hurdle not having like some sort of exercise program in in our schooling because it's like um okay let's let's do this and then just tell me how you feel next time so i think i got used to the whole experimenting with different exercises and just 
asking for a lot more feedback from patients was really big for me once I graduated. I think you're exactly right, too. It's not like every, you know, some diagnoses come with the criterion, like they have to be able to, you know, like post up, like they have to be able mm-hmm. to bend this much before they can do X, Y, or Z. So that's kind of helps give us a guideline, but most of our patients aren't that way. Um, so yeah, trying to figure out when is definitely a big question that, that all of my students ask. Um, and again, clinicals are super helpful with that. But yeah, being able to communicate, like there's so much like go learn, memorize, and just know knowledge about all of the things. But at some point you need to be able to be personable and communicate with your patients mm-hmm. to see be able to apply how it they're all. feeling to be able to apply it right appropriately to these individual patients like we talked about earlier. It's going to be different for everyone. Oh, I don't know why your progression story remind me of a Ken. Literally like the first week I started working with Ken. Um, it was my first job outside of school officially. And Ken was a technician and it was both me and him. And I progressed a patient and patient came back not feeling great and it kind of felt a little worse and i was like oh my gosh i'm getting fired i don't know if you remember this i gave him like bird dogs and i was like i'm gonna get fired it was nice knowing you like all this kind of stuff and he's like you're not gonna get fired and i was like i am i progressed patient too soon like i i guess i'm going and it's like no you're gonna have those trials errors and i'm sure you've even had uh students who probably come back and they're like i think i did something wrong i progressed them and they came back with more pain like it's all the yeah, learning course. process they've all been there yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely i mean so honestly again i've been doing this for a pretty long time but being a prn therapist is is weird because mm-hmm. i feel like i know things but i'm essentially just usually covering for somebody who's sick or on vacation and they're not really my patients. So I also don't want to progress them too quickly and have them be sore or mad at a therapy as a whole. I don't care if they're mad yeah. at me, you know, but I don't want them to like mm-hmm. stop coming back to therapy because it, it hurt too bad or something. So I find myself even now being a little bit hesitant on the progression train. Um, yeah. Or like, you don't know the PT you're really working with. I'm like, is this something you're going to do consistently or something like that? Yeah. No, I, 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 I get that. Cause I was kind of filling in just after one of my surgeries and I was like, we're just going to do the same things today. <laughs> right. And sometimes yeah, just unless it it's like super, super like, oh yeah, you shouldn't be doing this anymore. It's way too easy. <laughs> and I know, um, but it is definitely funny. Hey guys, this is editing Laura coming through. That was the end of part one. Again, um, this episode kind of ended up being a little longer as we were chit-chatting with Jess. And I hope you guys are enjoying it so far. We enjoyed it a lot. But this will end part one. Don't forget to catch part two on Monday. Well, I mean, sorry, not Monday. Ooh, my days are completely off. This is what happens when I don't have Ken here to remind me what days we record and upload but we will be releasing part two next week on tuesday so stay tuned for that again it's amazing all the information that she gives and advice has been absolutely so helpful and so cool to listen to so uh don't forget to tune in and then also stay updated on our instagram and on our twitter and instagrams were the most active but we also have the youtube channel again we'll get some new stuff in life has kind of hit us a little hard lately so give us a little bit of a breather on that um we'll get there though guys but again hope you guys are enjoying part one let's go ahead and um we'll catch you next time in part two
The information in this video or podcast is not intended nor implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All content, including text, graphics, images, and information contained in this video or podcast is for general information purposes only and does not replace your professors or a consultation from your own doctor or healthcare professional.